this week on the Divided Opinion podcast. It's been a while. It's the first of the calendar year. How are we, West? Raring to go? But no, I don't, I don't particularly mind it. I mean, I thought it was petulant. What we've come to learn with Ronaldo is that he's so driven to be the best that he can and he wants to break all these records, everything. He wants to be on the pitch for every minute of every game of his career. But like you said, it is in that attack where they're having all the issues. But I'd be interested to know if this is maybe a, a drawback of Tuchel's system. Maybe it's just a weakness in his game. and you we've both given him a lot of not a lot but we've given him some fair stick and it's on me with that brush as well mate it's all you that the Lukaku agenda all stems from you he seems to have this allure doesn't he I mean players from all around Europe wanting to join Aston Villa and I think it's hello and welcome back season two episode 18 of the divided opinion podcast it's been a while it's the first of the calendar year how are we west raring to go yeah raring to get back into it how are you yeah yeah all good mate all good um we'll get into last night and all the events of last night um what should be fair should we should we just get straight into it obviously yeah at the time of talking it's Thursday morning, the morning after, the night before. When honestly, a night that I've I've never seen anything quite like it. I don't know if my memory kind of evades me, but Leicester City two one up in the ninety fourth minute. I want to say, and the Spurs two goals from Steven Bergwijn. It must be up there with the the Troy Deeney moment that really for a Leicester fan. Obviously, not not in terms of the bigger picture, it wasn't. But I mean, it's arguably worse, really, the sort of collapse that you had there. The only thing I can compare it to is that, and from a spectator's point of view, was Spurs against Ajax. Yeah. Honestly, like I've never seen anything like it, and I mean, we'll get into like the, I mean, the, we can get into like the tactical side of things, but I don't think anyone wants to hear that. But honestly, we weren't the better team. Like, like, I'll hold my hands up as as annoyed as I am with the result and when you have three points in your hand there and you feel like we probably felt like we, we got away with it a little bit Kane was the best I'd seen Kane play in a long time it was the best I'd seen Tottenham play in a long time to be honest but they just couldn't score and the amount of times that it was just the ball was just bouncing around the area and it could have just fell to Kane or anyone and it didn't until the 94th minute but it's, honestly, it's getting hilarious now, this this kind of curse I've got. If I say a player's bad, they will score. Like, they will score. So There's Bergwijn been a lot of examples. Literally, Bergwijn came on. see your dad next to you and saying, Literally. he's terrible, I'm glad he's coming on. Yeah, <laughs> and he goes and bags two goals, mate. And, uh, I mean, that's his, his Spurs career has just peaked there. Yeah. I just, it, it honestly defies belief. The whole game, like, well, I'll go, well, yeah, we'll go through the game a little bit. Um, obviously, we started off. I mean, Leicester were playing. Uh, obviously, Spurs with their normal, like, is it a three-five-two? Would you call it? That's yeah. kind of what Conte plays, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and Leicester, obviously, we've got a few players back. And some players came back. It was great to see James Justin back from, from I think it's an ACL injury he had. He was out for a long, long period of time. So it's brilliant to see him back. He did well when he came on. Obviously, Leicester, there were a few players that were coming back and maybe from shorter spell injuries and you could see it. And obviously, we had a bit of a makeshift defence. Vestergaard, I mean, Yannick Vestergaard, I'd love to hear from a Southampton fan of what they thought of, of Yannick Vestergaard. Because from an outsider's perspective, I thought, yeah, he's a good player. And we were at a point like in the summer transfer window where we needed a centre-back. Like it, was, we, it was needed. We brought him in, 15 million or something like that. I thought I was pretty happy with it. He is the worst centre back I've ever seen. Like really? genuinely the worst I've ever seen. 
I did switch over. I did switch over to the Leicester game in the first half of five or ten minutes, and there was a moment as soon as I switched over, uh, I think the ball dropped him on the edge of the box, and he sort of knocked it by Kane and tried to play like a diagonal into the right back, and then literally clipped it fifteen yards into Hoiberg's chest, and Tottenham hit, I think nearly hit the post or something like that. Davison Sanchez, and he was just yeah, oh, he's a calamity, isn't he? Honestly, and Kane isn't the fastest player. He's obviously got a turn of pace, Kane. He's not the fastest player, but honestly, Vestergaard made him look like Theo Walcott. <laughs> like, the guy looks like he's running through treacle, Vestergaard. But anyway, yeah. it's not a. I'm not here to out a player. And the, the annoying thing is, he is good on the ball, and like there are aspects to his game that are good. But defensively, he's just not at it, and it's just. I mean, we yeah. I mean, we're not, not going to get into a Leicester rant here, but <laughs> yeah, just a crazy, crazy game. I've never seen limbs like it, to be honest, with the Spurs fans. It was pretty crazy. And I imagine it was a well it would have been an amazing away day for them. Um very much a football fan where you just have to move on. And if those kind of losses I mean it was almost less painful than say if we'd lost two nil comfortably. Yeah. Because we had that whole build up, we felt like we had it, and then when it goes just like that, at a click of a finger, you almost feel like you've still got it. But yeah. my head still feels like we've got the three points. Um, but yeah, no, in terms of Leicester, we played in a, we pl- we matched them up almost in, in a defensive formation, went to a 3-5-2. And then in attack, we'd go, Mark Albrighton would push, Chowdhury, would, Chowdhury played in centre-back again. So th- that is the thing, is when you look at the broader picture, Spurs were probably the better team. We had a lot, of, I think the what happened was, those kind of mistakes and that calamitous defending that you saw in the final couple minutes, it was kind of pending and it was it could have happened all game and we just got lucky that it didn't and then we yeah. just got found out in the last few minutes. But what can you do? It's football. It is why we love it. It's also why we hate it sometimes. But we'll go on to now the other game from last night. Obviously, your team, Manchester United. Obviously, I wasn't able to watch the game. Do you want to give me a little, yeah. little rundown of what happened? Um, well... I think the first half was it was very much a case of the United team that you've seen all season, um, just pretty abject. No, no, no sort of energy in the first half, and um, we we were living living dangerously. To be honest, Brentford. I mean, David de Gea. I mean, what where we would be without him this season? I think he must have kept us. It, it could have been three or four nil to Brentford in the first at half time. Made yeah. some really important saves with his feet, but. After the second half, you felt there was a different sort of feel to the game. Obviously, obviously, Ranić had to go in there and try and get something out of them because the game was only going one way. And for the second half, it was a totally different game. United came out, they tweaked their formation a bit, went to a sort of a back three, especially when Maguire came on. I've seen but, actually, and obviously, we'll carry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I've seen a few differing opinions about Maguire coming on. Yeah, say maybe Jones should have come on and. How's he got in? How has Maguire just get himself back into the team? I don't well, know what your I, thoughts are I on think, that. I think, I think, in fairness to Ranić, he hasn't really just sort of dropped him back in the team. I think he's been on the bench now for two or three games. Uh, this was his first appearance in, I think, since Newcastle mm. in December. Obviously, you've got to slowly sort of mould them into the team, haven't you? After you've been out for a few weeks, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I, I still would have liked to see Jones. I mean, after his performance against Wolves a couple of weeks ago. I think he's deserved another chance. Um, but no, in terms of the, the goals, Alanga was really impressed with him again. He's taken his chance really well. Uh, a good goal that he scored as well. And then after, after the first goal, I think sort of it was always going to be a case of United just getting two or, one or two more. But as we saw on Saturday, still at 2 or 3 nil, I wasn't totally confident. I mean, when Brentford pulled one back in the 84th minute to make it 3-1, there's still a little bit of me thinking, yeah, this could be uh, Aston Villa all over again. I think it's just, um, just good that you got that third goal, isn't it? And Yeah, I mean, it's good that we got the win and the performance in the second half was much improved, but there's only so much you can take away from. In all fairness to Brentford, they're a good side. that They've come up, they've done well this season, but with the, the difference in quality on the pitch, I mean, we shouldn't get, be getting carried away with a 3-1 win at Brentford. I mean, that's just expected of players like this. Yeah, 100%. But I think you are just at a point now where a win does feel like a, a huge thing at the minute, doesn't it? And yeah. just getting these wins is so important. And I think we've seen yeah. so many times as well that 
with other teams. You've got the teams like Arsenal, for example. The reason I've been so impressed with them this season is that they do dispatch the Brent, the Brentfords. I mean, obviously, I know they lost against Brentford. <laughs> Maybe a bad example. But you know the teams, I mean, that kind of ilk, that kind of area of the of the league. They're almost the most important games just to get checked. Like, just check yeah. them off, get the wins, and then you see if you can get anything out of the big games. Yeah, so I think that's what you, not, you want to see with United, isn't it? Because you just... Yeah, definitely. You almost seem to do better against the bigger teams. I reckon maybe that's just the the kind of players you've got play up for those for those big games. Obviously, what? talking about oh, sorry, I'll let you come in in a minute, but I want to get your thoughts on something else. Talking yeah. about big players, obviously we saw wasn't it was it a two nil? Am I right in saying Ronaldo got took off? Yeah, he got taken was off of Maguire. A bit of a reaction between Ronaldo and Ranić, and Ranić's come out and said that he basically told Ronaldo that it was for the best of the team. What are your thoughts on that? Is that something you like to see? Is you do like to see the passion, or do you think he was a bit out of line, Ronaldo? Maybe uh, it's something that we've we've seen before with Ronaldo. I mean, he's not. I mean, in all fairness to him, he's never been a player that he's never going to feel. It's never going to be second nature to him, sort of coming off in a game because it's just Cristiano Ronaldo. And we've seen that reaction a couple of times when he was at United first time around. I remember against Manchester City in a derby when we were 2-0 up and Ferguson took him off and he really, and that ended up being his last game at Old Trafford really. Um, but no, I don't, I don't particularly mind it. I mean, I thought it was petulant. I mean, what we've come to learn with Ronaldo is that he's so driven to be the best that he can and he wants to break all these records and all sorts, everything. He wants to be on the pitch for every minute of every game of his career. But I think I think Ranić's right. I think at his age, he's thirty-seven in a couple of weeks. Um, he's just come back from missing two games of injury. You've got to be careful. If it two 0 up, there's there's no harm in taking him off. He's got another game on Saturday against West Ham, and he will need he'll be starting in that game. So it's it's good man- management by Ranić, and as he said, it's for the betterment of the team. But a little bit petulant from Ronaldo, but I, I still don't mind it. It shows a bit of passion and a bit of a bit of fight, which a lot of the other players on the pitch need to probably take a leaf out of his book. There, I just think with Ronaldo, there is a, an element sometimes of like, when you, you watch him and there's certain elements of his game that have matured 100%, but there are certain parts of him that they kind of <laughs> still that 23-year-old like player that's just come out of sporting Lisbon and is just getting started in the game. Do you know what I mean? There are yeah. certain levels of in- immaturity, but maybe that is... I think the thing with Ronaldo is whatever he's doing, you don't change, do you? If it ain't broke, you don't fix it. And he's obviously got a formula and it's worked for him for so long. I just think, and I've said it to you before, that I think with Ronaldo, I think no matter what team he's been at, Real Madrid, Juventus, Manchester United, Ronaldo has always come first. Him himself, his records, his goal scoring, it comes first. But that ends up being a knock-on effect and it helps the team and I think that's just what you see with Ronaldo and you just you almost just have to understand it is that he wants Ronaldo first and foremost wants to do well himself and put himself in a good light and then that will hopefully help United I do just think though sometimes it's just like you know the kind of reaction it's going to start if you start kicking off coming off the uh, off the pitch and I don't know I don't know if I like it or not me sometimes I like it and it is obviously we want to see passion from footballers, but I think there's just other ways to show your passion, isn't there? And at his age, he should understand that Ranić's going to have to make unpopular decisions. No one's undroppable, and he can see the outlook of the game. Like he can see that it's two 0 It's good now. We need to see this one out. We know what happened against Villa, and also I've got a game coming at the weekend. But he just sees that yeah. goal-scoring record, doesn't he? He sees another game without yeah. a goal. And he had a good game as well. I mean. He he did really well. I don't know if you saw it for the Greenwood goal, the sort of chest pass. Yeah, if you can go and watch that. It's a it's really good build up. But um, I think I think it's a case of you no, know, like after the game finishes, I think Ronaldo will, he, once he'd calmed down, he would have realised what it was for, what the substitution was for, and mm. he's just come back from injury, and you know. But at the time, I think he just. Certainly, well, we all know he certainly does stuff knowing there's cameras on him. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, I think it's, I think, I think it's, well, it's a good sign. I, I think that Ranić is willing to make those unpopular decisions. I think you, you yeah. saw it so many times with Oli, it just felt like he was scared to make those kind of decisions. 
Yeah, and I think I think they were picking up the words. I think he was saying to Ranić, "Why me? Why take me off?" And yeah. then like pointing at other players out on the pitch. And I don't, I don't. That, that's like yeah, that, that, that well, yeah, that makes it kind of worse. I didn't know that, but I don't know whether he was pointing, but he was sort of had his arm up in the air to people on the pitch, and he was saying, and you could see him saying, "Why me? Why take me off out of everyone?" And we'll move on soon, but I think just lastly to touch on that. I mean, I always thought that, and my first thought was always Ronaldo should be captain. But little things like that show you probably why he shouldn't be captain, because he does make yeah. kind of decisions that aren't for the betterment of the team, as you were saying. And I've ne- what does that yeah, tell the is- younger players and the players that are on the pitch? And and it is this all this throwing his arms around and sulking and stuff. It's not what a leader does. Do you know what I mean? And there obviously mm. are elements of his game that would be an incredible leader. Like he leads by example, but I don't know, maybe not. We'll probably never see it, let's be honest. Um, should we move on now to another manager that hasn't shied away from making important decisions, but he's going to have to make some important decisions because their season is going down the, the drain. Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. Chelsea now 13 points adrift of Man City. They dropped to third after losing to Man City at the weekend in a pretty resounding 1-0. As 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 one nils go, that was a pretty resounding loss for Chelsea. They never really trend, came to it? the game. And it was a, just a measured performance from Man City. And then obviously earlier in the week, we saw them held by Brighton for the second time this season. Brighton without Basuma as well. And again, Chelsea weren't the better team. Brighton played the better football and... Apart from that ZH goal, which was a bit of a out of nowhere, really, keeper maybe should have done better. And Chelsea didn't really threaten Brighton's goal at all. I just, well, how do you assess the situation at Chelsea? Is it as simple as there's no Ben Chilwell and Reese James, or is it is it deeper than that? Um, Sorry, it's quite an open-ended question. It, that yeah, uh, I think it must be, it must be deeper. Um, you know, I I'm not really liking this narrative at the moment of what the one that and certainly one that Tuchel's giving out to the media and sort of maybe trying to protect his players in a way, but by saying that they've had a lot of injuries and obviously, I, I mean, totally agree that they've, they've had some injuries, but the COVID layoffs and stuff. Every team in the league, probably bar Man City, have had to deal with COVID affecting the camp. But you look at Chelsea's, the, the, I mean, the, the embarrassment of riches at Tuchel's disposal, the amount of attackers he's got, and you actually look at the stats and actually look deeper into it. Then it's a performance issue, not a it's not a sort of overplaying issue here. Yeah. They've got so many options, and it's it comes as simple as the players simply aren't performing. And when you get to sort of up, coming up to February, the January transfer window is almost ending, coming into sort of like the real nitty gritty stage of the season. And you fought both of your fullbacks have still scored more goals than all of your strikers. It's criminal, isn't it? I mean, it? It, it says it says a lot. I mean, I don't, you don't really obviously you don't want to weigh in on people like Lukaku too much or Werner or, but when you actually look at their the the output this season, it's been no way near good enough for a group of forward players that cost a lot of money and a lot of Chelsea fans laid all their hopes on for the for this season and they've disappointed. I think on the whole. I'd be interested to know, and obviously I don't. Obviously, I saw Tuchel a little bit at PSG, but it was was he at Dortmund before PSG? Am I right in saying? Yeah. And I didn't really watch him there enough as well. But I don't know if this is a an issue that he's had before, because I completely agree with you. And when you look at these last couple of games, like they conceded one goal against Man City away. I mean, that's not a a bad thing, is it? They conceded yeah. one goal against Brighton, who looked pretty threatening, but Chelsea defended pretty well. But like you said, it is in that attack where they're having all the issues. But I'd be interested to know if this is maybe a, a drawback of Tuchel's system. Maybe it's just a weakness in his game. <laughs> I well, think it's someone needs to be brought in. Some kind of coach needs to be brought in, like an attacker, uh, a, a, maybe a, a Chelsea legend gone by or someone Tuchel knows that can help these attackers get the, get into their rhythm because I completely agree and I don't I don't think that we should hold back on these players because you look no, at the no, players no. at their disposal. I mean, it's, it's criminal, really, because if you look, has anyone got the attacking talent that Chelsea have got? When you look at that, obviously he plays with the attacking front three. 
and he's changed it so many times. He hasn't yeah. found that right combination. And he's got he's got Havertz. I know there's been injuries, but he's got Havertz, Mount, Werner, uh, Pulisic, Ziyech, Hudson Odoi, Lukaku. I mean, there's probably names I'm missing out there as well. And yeah, I mean, people like you talk about the names you've just mentioned. I mean, it's so much of it can go down to the manager and the way he sets his team up and sends them out to play. And obviously, Thomas Tuchel is by no means immune to criticism in this bad period for Chelsea. Mm. But like you say, at the end of the day, the book has to stop at a certain point with the players and their performances. Tuchel sends them out with a way to play and an intent. And you, what you've seen with Chelsea, that it's just not there. The intent from the attacking players isn't there. The, there's no combinations between the midfield to the attack. There's no sort of real energy about them. And you can maybe blame that on maybe certain plays being overplayed and we know it's a massive problem in football at the moment these players are being overplayed and there's so many examples out there and players need a rest and it's not good for them but I was watching against Manchester City but even against Brighton the other night there's just doesn't seem there's any sort of cohesion between the players it looks like a group of individuals which have been thrown on the pitch together and it didn't even look like they really liked each other out there to me it looks like the you got obviously the back three and the back four. I thought were pretty. I couldn't really pick out too much wrong with them, apart from obviously the wing backs that don't offer the the attacking threat going forward. And the problem I could see was you got Kante and Kovacic against. Was it Kante and Kovacic against City? And then was it Kante yeah. and Jorginho against Brighton? And yeah. it was more clear in the City game, but it was also again showed in the in the Brighton game where. Kante and Kovacic picked it up against City in that centre mid and they're almost in no man's land and that seems mad to say in the middle of the pitch because you'd think they'd have the most bodies around you but every time they pick the ball up obviously usually they'd rely on the, the progressive running of both James and Chilwell to offer options going forward on the wing but obviously they had Aspilicueta and Marcus Alonso who, oh my god Marcus Alonso needs to they need to get rid of Marcus Alonso he's their biggest weak point like every team focuses them, yeah. focuses on them Sterling against them and then Tarek Lamptey teared him apart as well but every time Chelsea's midfielders were picking up there were no options because there were no, no wing backs and then the front three of Ziyech and Pulisic and Lukaku were just all the way up the pitch yeah. and I think it is a pull, like a drawback you see of Tuchel's system where there just seems to be this huge gap and I know they didn't play Mount against Chelsea but he got brought back in against Brighton and he didn't really make much of a change. But I think what you touched on there with Alonso and Aspilicueta, I mean, they've obviously both been good servants to the club, especially Aspilicueta, he's achieved so much there. But I think it, you've, it's more, that's really, you've got to stick that on Chelsea. I mean, you look at the plays they've got out on loan, some of them. I mean, I was just sort of looking into it a bit more, some of the plays they've got out on loan and who they've bought in recently. And obviously you've had Tuchel come out and, certain figures at the club saying obviously injuries have really hampered as this season. Yeah. Um said so, but they've got Gallagher out on loan. Yeah. They sent him out on loan and bought Sal Niguez in. What 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 where's the uh where's the common sense in that? Gallagher arguably well definitely this season's been a far better player than Saul. Mm. But they that's that's not a decision they needed to make. They've got Alonso who most of the fans aren't happy with. And you can probably imagine Tuchel isn't really thinking this isn't really ideal for me having him no. on the left-hand side. But they've sent Emerson out on loan to Leon. Not saying Emerson's an amazing, sort of, a, a, a great left-back, but he did really well in the Euros of Italy, played yeah. in the final against England. He's an option, isn't he? Why, yeah, why couldn't they keep him? Um, just loads of... Yeah, it's just, it's just a case of... It's always happened at Chelsea. I mean, and I think it's just sort of being exposed now to sort of... Everyone's sort of put held Chelsea in this sort of um, in this sort of light of a perfectly ran club with mm. they make all the right business decisions and they make all the correct transfers. But I think recently there've there's been decisions made by people higher up. Maybe Petr Cech's involved a bit more now. He's been he's come to the club and some of them it's just senseless decisions. I think and they're sort of coming back to bite Chelsea a little bit. Yeah, and just playing devil's advocate, there obviously is the... You can't deny the fact that some injuries, you just can't you can't predict them. And to have injuries to both Reese James and Chilwell, 
it is there is an element of just bad luck to that. But I think I completely agree that I mean Marcus Alonso, I think I think Chelsea fans have been saying it for quite a while that he's not really been at the level. So to get to a point where Tuchel knows himself how important his wing backs are to his system. They are yeah. literally that whole team is brought together by the ability of Chilwell and James to go forward and and go back and pretty much play two positions because they've got the ability to do that. But Alonso and Aspilicueta, they're respectable players, but they're not going to be able to play the the kind of role that that, that James and Chilwell do. And I agree, I agree. I think they brought that Kennedy back. I don't know if you remember him that went to Newcastle that time. He's still Kennedy, some yeah. t- somehow on the Chelsea's books. So he's come back from Lona. But I think he's more of a right-sided player. I've, I, I think it's... I've got a question wrote down here. And I think it's an interesting one, really. And it's obviously not really necessarily linking just to Chelsea. But I've noticed recently that... I think the, the classic number nine is almost going out of fashion. Because if you look yeah. across these teams, all the big teams in the Premier League, and you think who's got an out and out now, an out and out number nine, and one that is actually performing as well. Because you go Chelsea, no, you have Chelsea. Obviously, theirs isn't performing. You've got Man City don't have a number nine. <laughs> United have obviously got you. You'd say Ronaldo's a number nine, but then you go through like Arsenal. They haven't got a number nine, but are still doing well this season. You go. Um, who else? Who else? Who have I missed? Liverpool. Liverpool. I mean, yeah. Jota and Firmino aren't really number nines, so to speak, are they? No, and it's interesting, isn't it? Is that just because more of the game now is in the build-up play, and it's less about just getting direct to your striker? I just, I wonder yeah. what that is. I wonder if that's just a, a trend. Players, people, like young kids growing up, they want to be an attacking midfielder nowadays. They don't want to be a striker anymore. I mean. It is for me. It's the hardest position to play on the pitch, striker, and it takes a yeah. special kind of player. And it's just, it's so much of it's just mentality as well, of just putting yourself on the, on the line, and getting in that position. And it's there's so much patience to it as well. Do you think I'm onto something there? Do you think the number nine is going out of fashion, or do you think it's just a bit of a maybe just a bit of a coincidence? Maybe no, you've certainly got a case to be argued there. Um... Like you say, it could be, it could be this sort of trend, even within managers and the way they like to set up their teams. I mean, you are seeing a lot more nowadays, aren't you? Of these sort of different systems where you've got false nines coming in and play, sort of also st- stemming from like three at the back, three five twos, but no, none of the strikers actually being sort of nailed on strikers. They just sort of float around on the wings and then exactly. drop in. Exactly. I think that's what you see with Chelsea. That's one of their biggest problems because you've got. Someone like Lukaku up there, and a lot of the time I see Lukaku, he's he's out on the right wing, on the paint, where he's he's no he's not effective. That isn't Lukaku's game. Going out to the wide and dribbling at players and taking people on, that isn't him. I mean, he needs to be on the shoulder with the ball played in behind. And I think as much as Lukaku struggled this season, and I think me and you, we've both given him a lot of. Not a lot, but we've given him some fair stick. And Don't I tell think me right... with that brush as well, mate. It's all yeah. you, that. The Lukaku agenda all stems from you. <laughs> the agenda, yeah. It's still well up and running. But <laughs> I also I also do sympathise with Lukaku because at Inter Milan, I mean, the plays he had behind, I think him and Martinez linked up so well at Milan and he had people like Brozovic, Barella, all behind him. And they all knew exactly how to play to a strength. Perisic as well. And they would often, Martinez would often drop into the hole and feed Lukaku onto these, with these balls. For one-on-one, that's Lukaku's bread and butter, the one-on-one finish for one-on-one on goal. Mm. But Chelsea just don't play to a strength. And when it happened, the transfer, I did think it wasn't a match made in heaven by any means. And I thought it was sort of a little bit of a panic buy by Tuchel. I just don't. I, I never saw it working, and I think the way Chelsea play, it's never going to utilize Lukaku's greatest strengths, and I just can't see it working between. Them, to be honest, it did feel like it was almost a, a kind of a lack of options pushed him into signing to uh, Lukaku. It was and underwhelming, I, and I don't know if there was a because there's obviously links to Chelsea in the past. So I don't know whether there's, and I don't know what the transfer policy is at Chelsea. I don't know how much control the the 
the manager's getting. I think Lampard was saying that it's kind of a mixture, isn't it? I think he had a few control over some of the transfers, but some of them were yeah. brought in by those higher up. So I don't know if there was was because of a previous link with Lukaku that Tuchel was basically said, we're going to get Lukaku. Or like, do you want Lukaku? We can get him. Because the other options, there weren't really many options, were there, in terms of a striker of that pedigree? No. I'd be interested to see, and I'm I'm not here to tell Tuchel how to set up his team. The guy knows better than me. But I'd be interested to see what it would be like if you, say, drop Mount into like an attacking midfield role. And then play Lukaku up front with a with a Werner, for example, and see what he'd be like if he had that strike partner, someone to play off, and maybe it yeah. could work. Because, like you said, with Martinez, he struck up a partnership, and this it's it's difficult with Lukaku because sometimes you watch him and you think he's unplayable. Like in certain aspects of his game, like there's there's things he can do that make him unplayable because he can come short and and stand up and and hold off a player and hold the ball up or he can get on the half turn and go past the player and then his strength and pace can can take him past most players in football but it just doesn't seem to work like that on a consistent basis and you see it like and I know it's almost become a bit of like a, a joke hasn't it Lukaku's touch or it did for a while but He's so inconsistent. Sometimes it's straight in and he's, it sticks to him and he d- plays perfectly, holds the ball up, brings other players into the game. And sometimes, I don't know, he just seems almost, doesn't really, like he's almost in the middle of an idea, like he doesn't really know what to do. And I don't know, he, there's obviously, I, I think there's definitely a player in there and I also don't think the blame is on Lukaku, in my opinion. I think it is the players around him. And the best I've seen Chelsea play this season in an attacking sense and Chelsea fans might remind me of a different performance but there's one that stick out in my in my brain and it's that first half against Liverpool earlier on in the season and they played Havertz, Mount and Lukaku and for me yeah. just that was the most balanced I've seen it and I think Lukaku I don't think these kind of pacey players that get in behind and I know against City two cool favoured runners and he said it in his press conference after his post-match interview that was why Mount didn't play he wanted runners so he went with Ziyech and Pulisic but I don't think they suit Lukaku really I think he needs bodies around him doesn't he he needs players like the Mounts Havertz that's going to get it into feet and playmakers so yeah I'd be interested if if it was me and I was picking the team it would probably be Havertz Mount and Lukaku but I would like to see that that two up front to see if it could bring more out of him but anyway we'll move on from Chelsea now and a team that are on an upward trajectory I think it couldn't be more steep their incline Aston Villa I think we did mm. speak about Gerard, didn't we on the on the last podcast I think he he had been appointed um well he definitely had been appointed yeah. it was November wasn't it obviously now we sit in here today with Felipe Coutinho or Philippe Coutinho with Aston Villa now reunited with Gerard. They've also brought in Lucas Digne from Everton. Took advantage of a, a bit of a, a sour situation there. And now they're also being linked to every name under the sun. Obviously, they've been linked to Basuma at Brighton, a highly sought-after player, and a player that I don't understand how someone hasn't bought him yet. Are Villa making the... Well, actually, your first question I'd like to ask is, I I was obviously I posted yesterday and you guys you can check us out on Instagram at Divided Opinion if you want to see daily content from myself and Westy. Uh, I was I made a point in the podcast and I think it's interesting because with Gerard obviously there was a his football acumen was part of the reason why he why he was appointed, and then we also understood that we I think we understood that he would be able to kind of have that pull and bring certain players in that possibly would have turned down Villa before. But I don't think I'd really preempted the the extent of it. He seems to have this allure, doesn't he? I mean, players from all around Europe are wanting to join Aston Villa. And I think it's... Dean Smith, it almost seems like the owners were just waiting for that first excuse to get rid of him. Because yeah. the investment has been steady, hasn't it? Obviously, the Grealish transfer gave them a lot more money to spend and they were a lot more free spending in the summer and they brought a a collection of players in. But they've been pretty steady, haven't they? Pretty modest 
in their backing of Dean Smith. And I just think it's interesting. I mean, Dean Smith will, should be looking now and thinking, uh, like, they were waiting for me to, to go. And I, he obviously didn't suit the the kind of brand or the image that, that Villa wanted going forward and the ambition of the club. Um, there's a question in here somewhere. Um, but do you think I'm maybe right in saying that, that they were waiting for an excuse with Dean Smith? And also, have you been surprised at the ability Gerard has had to to attract these players or did did you kind of see it coming? I don't think yeah, I think you I think you're right to an extent though. They were probably I think they were planning on a future without Dean Smith. I'm not sure whether they anticipated yeah. that to be so soon. I think you're definitely right in saying that the four or five defeats they had in a row, it it was a perfect chance for them to sort of pull the trigger and get someone like Gerard in. But I think obviously if Dean Smith had gone into the season and done really well, I mean it's still it's a, it's still a tricky one for the Villa owners. Despite whether they wanted someone else in or not, you can't really get rid of a man that's doing well. But luckily, look well, say luckily. It sounds a bit sort of horrible to say, doesn't it? But <laughs> luckily for them, there was a chance to to get Gerard in, and I, you would have thought they'd been speaking to Gerard for quite a quite some time about the project and what they wanted him to see and they'll probably mention to him that once there was a chance to get rid of Dean Smith we would get you in because mm. it seemed a very sort of quick transition didn't it from Smith leaving to Gerard coming in so yeah but on Gerard, I mean there's all a player of that who's had a career that he's had and the, the sort of stature of who he is Steven Gerrard there's always going to be players that will are going to be sort of attracted to him and playing underneath him like you say Dean Smith Great, he's a he's a good manager. He's a, he's a solid manager. He did a good, a great job. Aston Villa getting them back into the Premier League and keeping them there. But there's only so far someone like that can take you. Not both, not only on the training pitch, but also in a sort of commercial way and mm. as a brand as well of Aston Villa. And I think they saw that and they spotted that. And Gerard's been the perfect person to come in and sort of. I mean, I'm not saying that he's taken him to that next level yet, but he certainly will do. Yeah, I mean and he's he, got he's got a fantastic career ahead of him, Gerard, and the players that, that he, he can attract is just sort of it's a different level to what Dean Smith could have. Yeah, and obviously it does look like they are going definitely in the right way, Villa. I don't think they're at that point yet where we really can judge them, and there's obviously a lot of improvement to come. And Gerard, I think, is slowly trying to implement his his style of play, isn't he? And he I remember him saying when he came in that he, he put such a, a focus on the fact that he wants Villa to start playing positively and start pushing up the pitch and taking the game to op other oppositions. And I think we are slowly seeing that, but that will take time. But in terms of them achieving that, are these signings that you're seeing and the, the links you're seeing as well, do you think these are the right the right signings for Villa to take them to that, that place they want to get to? Um, I think the Coutinho ones are... It's a smart signing. I mean, it, you could probably view it as it's maybe one that could have been done to sort of appease the fans. I mean, I don't think the fans were in any way sort of uh, disheartened at what was going on. I mean, mm. I think they're all behind Gerald and they've been they've been loving it ever since he's come in. But it's certainly one that from it certainly has a commercial sort of plus to it. I'm not saying Coutinho isn't a good player. He's he's been a great player, but it's not the same Coutinho that we saw in the Premier League last time around. No. Um, but obviously he's got a, he's got a good opportunity to do well. I mean, he started off well on Saturday against United, and I just didn't think it was a signing that they particularly needed. But we'll see how that one plans out. But I think the rumours around Suarez. I think obviously for a club like Villa, I mean, it'd be hard to turn down someone of his pedigree and what he's done in his career. But this season, he's not been not been fantastic for Atletico Madrid. Obviously, he's getting older. He's, he's not, not in not an ideal of... environment, though, is he? There at Atletico no, at the not. moment, it seems to have gone a little bit sour and a yeah. little bit of a hangover from from last season. Of course, yeah. And I think if you bring him in, I don't know whether it would be on sort of a probably it'd be on a till the end of the season. Then maybe another year, maybe a year and a half deal. You, you're going to have to look at sort of taking one of Danny Ings, Watkins out of the team and maybe moving them on because there's already a dilemma going on there at Villa between them two players. I mean, trying to fit everyone into that side, it's proven difficult. Obviously, you've got Buendia in there as well 
and you you forget about people like Leon Bailey that have been out injured, yeah. and when he comes back into the fold, so it's it, it would throw a, a another challenge into the works for for Gerard, but it's certainly it's it's a healthy challenge I think when you've got that competition, and I think for someone like Suarez to come in, for people like Jacob Ramsey and mm. young young forwards at the club to learn off someone like that, I mean I think it would be really good for them, but. I just don't necessarily think it's a play that they necessarily really need, but if it does happen, then it's certainly. It, it, I don't think it would be a bad sign. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm just in the camp really that if you get the chance to sign Luis Suarez, you sign Luis Suarez. Yeah, and of course, I think as as well, just referencing what you were saying there about the Ings and Watkins situation. I mean, that is an interesting situation as well because obviously Watkins, he's not. I don't think he's ever going to be like a like a real bagsman like an out and out number nine but he was chipping in with a lot of goals and goal contributions in general like last season and just felt a lot more involved in the games and I almost watch him now and it, it seems the arrival of things seems to have detracted from his performances the most out of anyone and that will be worrying for Gerard. and obviously Gerard didn't bring Ings in but it looks like to me that Ings was the wrong signing Yeah, and I think it's always difficult when you bring in a player like Ings when you've got a player like Watkins already because obviously Ings I'm just, Ings is a bit older than Watkins but they're both at a point in their career where they both want to be playing Yeah, they both want to be that main man and it's you see it don't you normally that you'll have a, an older striker a more senior striker or in any position of a more senior player and then you bring in a, a younger player to kind of grow underneath them and I think the ideal situation would be if they hadn't brought Ings in and then you brought the Suarez in because if you or Watkins you can't really argue can you no. if you bring Suarez in and then because obviously I don't think they're going to drop Watkins and they haven't dropped him because of Ings but they've kind of pushed him out into the wide areas haven't they yeah and he is a bit of like a hybrid forward isn't he where he's not an out and out number nine but he, he can play on the wing etc but yeah I think it's difficult because it's just a difficult situation because obviously they can't really sell Ings can they and Ings is a top, top centre-forward, but they just haven't got the best out of him yet. Do you think Suarez would want to go to Villa? Well, I think if you're leaving, if you're believing reports that you're seeing on, online and social media, I mean, it seems like he's he's keen on it. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think for him, I think, the, I think these players nowadays, it's coming to a point with the Premier League where maybe 10, 5, 10 years ago, there was a point where players were, it was always the next step for in anyone's career for an elite player was to go to the, the Spanish clubs, Real Madrid, Barcelona. If not one of them, maybe a Milan or a, or a Bayern Munich. And obviously they're still great clubs with great pedigree. But I think a lot of, a lot of people, are re- players now are realising that the Premier League is the place to be. And, yeah. Whilst they're coming into the twilight years of their career, they want that one last taste of the Premier League. But it, it, at the sort of mm. height it's at now, the the quality that's there, and I think you're seeing that a lot now. Players that are leaving the Premier League are sort of regretting it further down the line yeah. and really wanting to get back in here, no matter what team that's at. Now, I think that's why yeah. you've seen these signings. Sort of the Kieran Trippy is going to Newcastle United. I'm not saying that there's any other other reasons why he signed there, but. That's certainly one of them, you know. Uh, Newcastle, mm. almost rock bottom of the Premier League, but they're still been managing to attract players like Kieran Trippier, who could play for a top six, top four team. So it's certainly yeah, good, certainly, no, certainly good for our league. A hundred percent, and I think it, it's it's difficult, isn't it, really? Because I, I mean, we were all so against the Super League, but the Premier League is becoming that Super League, and. I think for me, I don't, I don't particularly. I, I still want to see. You still want to see these the European leagues thriving, don't you? And for the for the good of the Champions League and for the good of other leagues, football. We're not like this, like we don't. We're not just a prem centric. Football just isn't just about English football, is it? No. Like every all these other leagues, they offer so much, and it all offers to the to the broader picture of football. Yeah, and. I think it's it's concerning really because it's it is almost out of our well it's definitely out of our hands and it's almost it is out of the Premier League's hands really because these other leagues La Liga's Serie A's they need to realise or work out 
how they are going to keep up with the Premier League because they're not at the moment. Like everything's dwindling there, TV deals, everything, and they were obviously so reliant on the pull of Lionel Messi and, and Ronaldo in, in La Liga, and I think, I think Serie A might have kind of has kind of gone upwards a little bit. Yeah, it's certainly on a upward trajectory over the past sort of three or four years. Someone that's been following it quite closely, and it was a mm. patch in between sort of the early two thousands and sort of until about four or five years ago where it was sort of just stuck in a bit of a bit of a rut but it seems like a very competitive league at the moment as well you see a lot of different teams that are at the top of the table yeah and then you see some some of the so-called big teams like Juventus seem to have dropped down the pecking order a little bit yeah well it's it's a cycle that's been broken I mean it's sort of a cycle that probably needs to be broken in sort of Germany and France as well where I think it was in Mm. France last year with Lille winning the title but yeah, there's certainly a lot more of a competitive feeling, especially with the two Milan clubs sort of coming back to sort of closer to where they'd like to be. That's throwing mm-hmm. a different sort of um or a different spanner in the works. Spanner in the works, maybe just a different sort of I don't know what word I'm looking for, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Yeah, we know what you mean. We'll move on now to the situation at Everton. Now been kind of just slowly moving down the table under Rafa Benitez and then obviously we've seen that Rafa Benitez has seen the sack and I don't I think we all saw it coming I don't know how Rafa Benitez he should have saw it coming before he went there I mean it was it just was never gonna work was it and I remember saying on the podcast I think we said it in our Premier League preview that as soon as the results start to go against them it's done like they can't come back from it First and foremost, I mean, I think I know the answer, but were they right to sack Rafa Benitez? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you couldn't you couldn't see this one working out. No, no, I mean, it was never going to work. Uh, just the the relationship and with what he had with Liverpool, it was just it was always just bound to be a, a poison chalice. I mean, mm. like you said. They got off to a half decent start. They won their first three games, I think. Got another few good results, but like you say, once once the results turn, the fans turn. The players sort of lose faith when fans turn. They they sort of look around the manager and think, is this is this working? And then and then everything sort of sort of it looked like the world the weight of the world was on Rafa Benitez's shoulders the last few weeks. And I'm actually just happy for him that he's he's out of that because. It, it seemed really sort of toxic and brutal, and it, yeah, I mean it's just at Everton. I think, it, but in all fairness to Rafa Benitez, I mean it's a right decision to let him go, but it, it certainly stems from a from a higher issue at Everton, right from the top, similar to what's happening at United. I mean the way the clubs run, the way that they've acted in the sort of transfer market for the last four or five years, the appointments they've made higher up in the board. It's just everything's wrong at Everton at the moment. They need a complete total straight back to basics and restructure that club. Mm, and yeah, and lastly on Benitez, I think he did just underestimate, and I don't know how he did it because he knows football so well. Like he knows Merseyside so well, and knows how important football is in that part of the world. He's experienced countless uh, Merseyside derbies, and he somehow underestimated the the lengths in, in which fans in that part of the country go to to support their team and just the just how important like the tribalism is to them and it's not it is it's more than just football isn't it yeah. and it can't be it just can't be forgotten and I don't know how he ever I just he's just naive and for a man that's so experienced and seems so level headed and he's obviously a really clever guy don't understand how he didn't how he thought that. I don't know whether it was just a bit of a kind of arrogance on his part for I can do it. And he's obviously had difficult jobs in the past. He's obviously worked at Newcastle, for example. But no, it was it was a silly decision. But we'll move on now as well, just to talk about potential replacements. We've seen obviously the two names linked probably most it have been Wayne Rooney and, and Frank Lampard. Uh, we obviously Roberto Martinez was in the frame, but seems to have called after Gerard. No, after Belgium <laughs> wanted to keep him around. I don't know where Gerard came to that. <laughs> um, who do you think is the best man or the right man 
for Everton to appoint as their next next boss. I'd, I'd like to see Lampard, to be honest. Obviously, the the Rooney links there, and it's sort of a romantic link. And he's certainly shown at Derby County that he's he's a, he's a good manager. He's got a great potential and great he's got a potential potentially great career ahead of him in management. But obviously, mm. I think most people, if you speak to them and you, you look at it from an outsider's perspective of being a fan of neither of the clubs. You'd, you'd like to see Rooney at least see this season out of Derby. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. it's still going to be a really big task for Derby, but he's on the brink of something really special there, uh, despite all the issues. And he can hold his head so so high this season. Most people would have walked out. But I wouldn't like... To, I think Rooney's got a... That's, there's a place for him at Everton in the future, I think. I think that's certainly a job yeah. you could see further down the line, but... I don't think you should rush into anything like that. And I think, on the other hand, Lampard, I think it would just give a, a different element to Everton, a different approach and direction, and a bit of sort of like a new lease of life, a sort of a young, sort of up-and-coming, aspiring manager that would go in there and get the best out of the youth players in there and bring some more through. I mean, he, he did a great job of that at Chelsea, and I think I said it in the post the other day about Lampard, with Everton's recent history in the pre- in the transfer market, some of the terrible signings they've made, panic buys and just overpaying for, for really poor players. I think they've got to come up with a new strategy in the near future and focus more on youth and try and build a team from there and get a, get a lot of these bad eggs out of the club and really, mm. really just sort of focus on building from the bottom now. And I think Lampard would be the perfect person to come in and do that. Yeah, and he could bring some positive feeling back to that club because I think that is what is needed and any kind of positivity, I bet they're just yearning for it, the Everton fans. And I do feel for them. I like Everton as a club and I like, I just like what they stand for and I think they are, they're obviously a a very, they've got a lot of heritage, aren't they, Everton? And they feel like an important team to the Premier League. I mean, I'm not, obviously I'm not an avid follower of Everton, but I've watched them a lot this season. And I think for me, they've just been so disappointing to watch, just yeah. so boring. And well, like you said as well, when you see the amount of money that has been spent, there's little to show for it. And then the amount of poor signings that have been made. And I think Lampard, 100%, I echo everything you were saying, really. And I think that kind of focus on youth is how Everton can bring themselves out of this situation. And there's nothing better, is there, as a fan of a club? and seeing some young players come through, some homegrown talent. Mm. And there's nothing like it, really, to bring some positive feeling back and bring Everton back to where they should be and back challenging up in the upper parts of the table because mm. that is where Everton should be. And growing up, that was always where they were. Yeah, And, yeah, I think I'd, I'd go with Lampard as well. I think with Rooney, I just... I think he'd be stupid to take that job at the minute because yeah. it's always going to be there for him if he wants it and like you said he'd be silly to throw away this opportunity that he's got to achieve something with Derby because people won't forget it for a, for a long time no. and it, it's almost like just just he kind of puts put some credit in the bank doesn't he and yeah. in terms of when he goes for job interviews for other managerial roles what an achievement to say that you've you've done and, and what a way to start your management career and I mean, Rooney shows all the all the attributes of a of a manager, and he's almost in that Gerard ilk, isn't he? Of the players that he'll be able to attract. It's just interesting, isn't it, that we've got all this kind of the golden generation. They're all going into management now. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see who will do the best. And I, I think for me, I'd put my money with Gerard. Yeah, I, I think he's he says everything right. He just he's just like. He just never slips up, does he? He never caught. He never gets caught lacking in a press conference or anything. And I just think he's he's just a class act. Um, we'll finish off now. Um, last topic. We'll talk about the postponements recently. Probably not the most exciting topic to talk about, but it has become a little bit ridiculous, hasn't it? Yeah. And it almost feels like once they handed out the first postponement, and then they once they handed out the second, it's now just offered the kind of these teams an excuse now and you've seen it with Arsenal they're getting games called off purely because of injured players I think they had like a couple of COVID cases at most 
Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? And do you think these clubs are now starting to kind of abuse the system a bit? Definitely. I mean, I, I think it's got it's gone got far too out of hand. Back in sort of December, I think when the sort of this this sort of new variant and everything was sort of really rife and it was heavily affecting teams, I had no no problem with it. And there was even a view of maybe like a two week circuit breaker. I don't particularly think mm-hmm. we had time for that. Um, I don't think we had time to fit the games in if that had happened. So I was happy that didn't happen. But I think these this sort of postponements are are absolutely fine. They're ideal for when there's been an outbreak at a club and when you're looking at sort of stuff that say happened at teams like Leicester. I think United had a game called off when there was eighteen or nineteen first team cases. These these are extreme cases and extreme circumstances where clubs have every right to try and get games called off and they should be called off but mm. I think it's all started it, just after Christmas I think obviously a lot of it, it all sort of twer- mm. twines in with the talk of overplaying and the festive period and I think when teams had started so I think you saw it against Newcastle against Manchester United a few weeks ago I think this is where it sort of started where Newcastle had a couple of Covid cases Injuries, but then I think you saw St. Maximum and Callum Wilson pick up injuries in that game, and their next two fixtures were called off. And I think this, mm. I think other teams have looked at that and thought, you know what, there's a loophole here where we can sort of, if we don't think we've got our best team out or best players available, then we should just get these games called off and get them played in the latter stages of the season when we've got our fully fit side back. And I think it's wrong, I think it really damages yeah. the integrity of the league. Yeah, and it, it just damages the reason why it was brought in because COVID is a serious thing and it's it's a serious thing affecting the teams and if you have got a load of COVID cases then you can't play, not even from a footballing standpoint but in terms of just from a health and safety standpoint of if you've got a load of cases, the last thing you want is for a squad to all be together and playing together. I just think as well, it's just kind of, it's competition, isn't it? And we're in this, this such high-stakes competition and things... Argo, if you allow teams and these managers or whatever, and I'm, it will be, I'm sure it's not the manager, but it will be a team as a collective making the decision, like the team of coaches and the people in the board and everything. But if you give them this opportunity, like if you give them a yard, they'll take a mile. Like they will, if they can find any way of getting an advantage, they will do it. And if they've seen that Arsenal got their game called off or so-and-so got their game called off, they are going to try and do it, aren't they? And you can't, really argue with you the Premier League because they've left themselves just it's all been so unclear hasn't it it's all felt like they've just been making the rules up as they go along and I know everyone has been has been doing that to a certain extent with the pandemic but we could have planned pre-planned this like we knew that I think the scientists knew that new variants were going to come and we we've known about these new variants and there should have been something in place that if the infections did go up there was some kind of benchmarks that teams had to hit or and there didn't seem to be that at the start. And well it does look like now that they are going to be changing these rules. And I think it is a good thing. And I think obviously first and foremost, like I'd like to say that player safety and, and I know there's been a lot of debate around people like John Henderson, etc., saying that player welfare hasn't been first and foremost and he feels like players haven't been looked out for and obviously we we believe that is first and foremost that should be a thing and that should be the first thing that is on the agenda but and I've kind of lost my train of thought here no I know where you're going I know where you're trying to go with it but in terms of like yeah there just needs to be a system in place that it focuses on player welfare and it can't be kind of engineered by these clubs to work in their advantage and it needs to just be clear and yeah, and it's, I know it's tough. It's really hard. Like we're not, we're in uncharted territory here, and no one really knows the right thing to do. But it's just these these football, like the sporting bodies, they just continuously kind of embarrass themselves, don't they? Yeah. Continuously just show their ineptitude. And is there anything else you wanted to cover on this podcast, Westy? Um, no, I think we've sort of got everything out of our systems pretty well after a lengthy layoff. And yeah, we'll go again next week when there's. There's been, probably been a hell of a lot more happened in the football world, you'd probably say, by this time next week. Yeah, I know. It's good to be back. And yeah, this was very much an episode just to kind of feel our way back into it, dust off a few cobwebs 
and yeah and obviously there's there's a lot of topics that we have missed so if there's any topics that have happened in our absence that you want us to talk about let us know anything that happens in the in the near future let us know what you want us to talk about obviously we're buzzing to be back doing the podcast it's kind of been i've kind of been at a loss without it to be fair it's almost the thing just once a week it's kind of checking yeah talk about the the results I've got my new home studio set up over here and I've not exactly. really had a chance to use it yet, so it's no. sort of been staring me in the face every day. So. Yeah, yeah, we've Westy has now got a new setup, so hopefully it will show or you'll be able to hear it in the recording. It'll make my life a lot easier with the editing and hopefully the quality of the podcast is all the better for it. Um yeah, well thanks for joining me today, Westy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was an enjoyable episode yeah good good to touch base um hopefully you guys enjoyed it yeah like i said earlier in the episode if you'd like to see daily content match reports articles follow us at divided opinion on instagram make sure to follow the podcast on whatever podcast provider you're using there's this new thing on spotify now where you can rate um podcasts by like a far out of five how many stars you've rated it obviously you can do that on apple podcasts as well if you get the time to do that that would be really appreciated it obviously everything like that kind of helps us get the podcast out to more people and yeah if you enjoyed the episode you know someone else that might enjoy it let them know about it obviously the divided opinion family is ever growing and everyone is welcome but yeah thanks again for joining me west and thank you guys for listening And we'll be back next week. We're back in the weekly schedule now. And I'm sure it'll be another eventful week of football. We've obviously got European football coming back soon, which I can't wait for. And yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you soon.